Over the last several weeks, we have been taking a journey through the book of Philippians. And this morning, we are actually going to conclude our journey in the book of Philippians with the eighth and final sermon in this particular sermon series. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 4, beginning with verse 10 of the book of Philippians. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and turn there and follow along in your Bible. Now, if you have heard any or all of the sermons in this particular series, you know that I have said each time that there are two crucial pieces of information that I think it's important that we review each time as we begin. And the first is context. And you've heard me say this before, context is so very, very important. We're going to see an example in today's text of how serious it is when certain verses of Scripture are taken out of context. So again, context is always crucial. We should know what the context of the Scripture that we are reading is. And the context of the book of Philippians is this. It was written by Paul. He wrote it from prison. He wrote it directly to the church in Philippi, and he did it between AD 55 and 62. And the other important thing that I think it's important that we keep in mind as we journey through this book is that when we read through this book as a whole, it becomes really clear that there is a common theme that begins to just appear over and over again. And that's important that we realize that. And that common theme throughout the book of Philippians is this, that Paul rejoices in his partnership with the Philippians. And he does that in the midst of adversity. When things were far from ideal, when his circumstances were far from ideal, Paul rejoiced anyway, and we should take note of that. So at this time, if you are physically able to stand, I I would invite you to stand right now with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Again, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. I want to remind you that this is Paul speaking here, and I also want to remind you that this is the Word of God. God's Word says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, to God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us to this place today. Thank you for the reading of your perfect word. Father, now I pray that you would just simply hide me behind the cross. I pray that I would preach this passage of Scripture correctly and completely. Father, may I always point them to you and to the cross. I pray that they will see you and not me. Father, I pray that you will be glorified in this place today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is I've Learned the Answer to the Secret. I have learned the answer to the secret. Now, throughout our journey through this book of Philippians, we have seen Paul model for us radical joy time and time again. And this morning, we are going to see two final ways that Paul models radical joy for us. And the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that there is joy in contentment. There is joy in contentment. And so maybe what we first should do is just to answer a question, what exactly? do we mean when we say that we should be content or by contentment? It's simply being happy and being satisfied wherever you are with whatever you've got. It's contentment is being happy and being satisfied. And you know, if we look around us in the world today, we don't see a lot of that. If we listen to the world, the world will tell us you need more and more and more. You need to get more and more and more. And if we buy into that, we will never find ourselves truly satisfied, truly happy, nor will we find ourselves truly content. Can I tell you something this morning? We don't need more things. Those things will not bring joy. Those things will not bring eternal contentment. What we need is Jesus and a true relationship with Him. In Him, we can have joy and we can have contentment. And I've just got to ask you at the beginning this morning, do you know Him today? Now, as Paul begins in our text this morning, he shows us again that he is rejoicing. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that it now at length you have revived your concern for me. And he says, you were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Now, we don't know for sure what happened during this period of time that Paul is talking about right now when it appeared that he was not in contact with these people. We don't know what happened, but I'll offer a couple of suggestions. It it wasn't like they could pull out their iPhones and send them a text. It wasn't like they could drop a letter in the U.S. Postal Service and get it to him. That type of technology, that type of communication did not exist yet. And then keep in mind, he's in prison. We don't know what the visitation policies were. But it could have likely been difficult to communicate back in this particular situation. But what we do know is what Paul did in the meantime. He rejoiced. He rejoiced while he was right there in that prison. Now, Paul makes it clear here in verse 11 that he is not speaking of being in need. And then he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. He's learned that. I wonder, can I ask us a question today? Have we learned that? Have you learned that in your individual life, that in no matter what situation you're in, to be content? 
And you might be saying, that's hard. Yes, it's hard. But it is possible with Jesus Christ. Paul tells us here in verse 12, he knows how to be brought low. I imagine he does. He is in prison. When he's writing this, he knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound. And then he says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, Paul doesn't leave us hanging here wondering, what is this secret? He tells us in the next verse, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Can I tell you something this morning? That verse is probably the verse that is most taken out of context of all of Scripture. It's dangerous. Don't do it. Do not take Scripture out of context. I see all the time people try to use this particular verse of Scripture to somehow make what they are trying to do okay. If what you're trying to do is okay contradicts God's Word, it is not okay. It is not okay. So what exactly does Paul mean when he says this? Well, here's where Paul's strength came from. It came from Christ, directly from Christ who is living within him. Paul knew that his strength internally, the human strength that Paul had, Paul knew it was not enough. He knew it was not sufficient. But here's what he knew that was sufficient, the strength of Christ that is living inside of him. He knew that the Christian life was a difficult one at times, but yet. He knew how to be brought low, and he knew how to abound. And through that, he has learned the secret, and that secret is relying on Christ for his strength. And you know what? When we do that, guess what our desires will be like? They will be like the desires of Christ. And when we get to that point in our relationship with Christ, then we can say the same thing. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And the reason we can say that is because the things that we will want to do will be the things that Christ wants us to do. We will think like Him. Now, for just a moment, I want to go back to a key word in verses 11 and 12. And that that key word is learned. That word appears in both of those verses. Now, what, because of what Paul has learned, and again, this has taken some effort on his part, but Paul knows the answer to the secret. And since he desires those same things that Christ desires, he really can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. I hope you can make that exact same statement this morning about your life, about your relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, if you can't, I would love to talk to you about this man named Jesus Christ. I want to ask you one more time, do you know him today? Is it still a mystery 
to you. Now, the final thing that we're going to see this morning through our text is that there is joy in the provision that comes from Jesus. There is joy in the provision that comes from Jesus. And can I tell you this morning that Jesus doesn't just halfway provide. He provides completely, totally. And I want to start this section of the message by telling you a story, a true story. Years ago, I was at a pastor's conference that was being hosted by the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful conference. And I believe it was the final speaker of the night came out on the stage. And he was an elderly pastor, definitely within his 80s. And he came out on that stage, and the first thing that he did was pulled out his wallet, and he pulled out a $100 bill and showed it to us, and he made this statement. For more than 50 years, I have tried to give this $100 bill away, and I just can't do it. Well, that got our attention. And he went on to say this. He said, during the very early years of his ministry, he was serving at a small church. He and his wife didn't have any money to speak of, nor did the people at the church, nor the church. None of them had any money. And the pastor and his wife were struggling to make ends meet. And one day after the service was over, he was standing at the door where people were leaving the building, shaking hands with people. And he said as soon as he went to shake hands with one person, he could tell there was something in their hand. And the person embraced him and said, you can feel free to use that however you and your wife would like to use it. Do whatever you want to do with it. And at that point, he didn't even know what it was. He didn't know how much money it was. He just discreetly stuck it into his pocket. And after everybody had left the building that day, he and his wife were still there, and he pulled that out of his pocket. It was a $100 bill. Now, 50-plus years ago, let's just face it, $100 went longer than it does today much farther than it does today. And he said in that moment, he and his wife started thinking how they could best use that $100 that they needed. And they made, they made the plans to spend the last pennies of that $100 bill for things that they truly needed. And then what happened next was that within a couple of hours... They learned of a severe need of somebody within the community. And they both felt led to give that $100 to the other people. And so they did, even though they didn't fully understand why God had provided it to them and they were supposed to give it away. But that's exactly what they did because they felt that God told them to. And then the remarkable thing that happened after that, in just a very short period of time, guess what happened? Somebody gave them another $100 bill. They've been giving that away for over 50 years, and God has caused money to come back into them plus more. And can I tell you something this morning, church? That is Jesus. Jesus is who provides. When he tells us to give, we need to give, and we need to give out of a cheerful heart. And when we do that, when we give in obedience, God will provide our need and then we can see that there is indeed joy that comes in the provision from Jesus. Sometimes, church, we've got to realize that Jesus uses us as his hands and feet. Are we willing to be used? Are we willing to be used? Paul is demonstrating 
that that he is relying on Jesus here and the fact that he knows that Jesus will provide his needs. He will provide his needs. Remember, while he is writing this, although he is indeed content, he's in prison. And let's just take it a step farther than that. Maybe you hadn't stopped to think about the fact that Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, a Roman guard, while he is writing this. Now, can't you just imagine that situation? I bet at the beginning of the relationship, that Roman guard, that Roman soldier, thought he had Paul contained. Can't you just imagine that? Chained to him? He's probably thinking, oh, what can you do now? Well, he saw what he could do now. Paul started evangelizing in the prison. Have you ever started to share Jesus with somebody, and just as soon as you say the name of Jesus, they start walking backwards? This guy couldn't do that. He was chained to Paul. Paul turned the situation around and used those chains for his advantage. He did that. Are we willing today to serve Jesus exactly where he's placed us, whether that is at your job, whether it's at the grocery store, when you go to get groceries, when you get gas, wherever it is, wherever he sends you, are you willing to be used like Paul was? If the answer is yes, We'll see him do great things. Paul tells them in verse 16 that he's not seeking the gift, but instead he seeks the fruit that increases to your credit. That's what he's seeking. He knows that sacrificial giving, that these people are giving right now, they think it's for Paul, But it's actually going to be to their advantage in God's eyes. It's just like that older pastor that I told you about a few minutes ago where that $100 bill keeps coming in and in again after they've given it away time and time again. God provided for their needs and He will provide for ours too, just like He provided for these people in our text today. Jesus can do that, plus more. That's God. That's how he works. Now, in verse 19, I want us to look at that just a moment. Paul has just said, I have been paid full in full plus more, plus more. And then he talks about their offering, how, how it is pleasing, how it's acceptable to God. And then he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when we give like Jesus wants us to. Now, will, will verse 19 happen unless we follow everything else? No, it's probably not going to. Because if that's the situation that you're experiencing, that you're just wanting your needs supplied, but you're not willing to listen to how God's leading then you're probably not going to be able to claim verse 19 because your needs and wants are going to be different than what he's going to supply. But when we are operating in the will of God, then verse 19 is true. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now remember, when we are in a true and right relationship with Jesus Christ, we want the things that he wants. We're not wanting the other stuff 
the things that don't glorify God. We are wanting the same things that Christ desires. And then if we do that, he will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we see that Paul closes this letter in the final three verses. And so in verse 21, he says to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to talk about that word one more time. If you were here for the first sermon in this particular series, I talked about the word saint because it appears in chapter 1 near the beginning as well. And, you know, I remember asking the question that day, when you think of the word saint, when you hear the word saint, what do you think of? And typically what we think of is a person who has lived their life for Christ. God's called them home. Now they're in heaven. We typically think of those people as saints. Well, that is not how this word was ever designed to be used or intended. It was never intended to be used like that. If you were here for that particular sermon, you probably remember that I said a saint is someone who possesses Christ. And then I said, maybe it would be more accurate if we said that a saint is someone who is possessed by Christ. That is the definition of a saint. We should be using that word today when it applies. Paul says to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, greeting's important. The way we greet people, the way we treat people, it is important. And if we greet them in Christ Jesus, we will greet them the correct way. And then Paul says, the brothers who are with me greet you. Now I wonder who are those brothers? Who are those brothers? Well, some of them are people he's won to Jesus Christ while he has been in prison. Remember, he's been serving the Lord where he was, chained to that Roman guard. And then he says, all the saints greet you. Isn't it amazing that how God can truly transform a life? Those people that were in that prison, I don't know exactly who he evangelized, but I believe Paul, knowing just the boldness of him, I believe he evangelized many. Isn't it amazing how God could take a person who is in prison, transform their life, And now Paul's referring to them as saints. That's exactly what he does for us. We might not physically be in a prison, but our sin is as great as if we were. It is as great as if we were in prison. Christ can transform us. And when he does, when he does, we can be called a saint Regardless of our past, no matter what we have been done, if the blood of Jesus covers you, you should be praising God and you should be telling everybody that you see about Jesus. Paul's referring to those people who've been converted inside that prison as saints. And then he says, especially those of Caesar's household, and he is probably referring to some of those guards some of those Roman guards that had been chained to him to detain him. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
You know, we talked, we sang about that grace a few minutes ago. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all. And every time I, I came, I, and once this morning as we were singing it, I said that grace that is greater than all my sin. And when you look along on the words, it says grace that is greater than all our sin. But I'm thankful that His grace is greater than my sin. And I can hardly sing that song without saying grace that is greater than all my sin. I am thankful that His grace is greater this morning than all my sin. What about you? What about you this morning? Again, I want to ask you, do you know this man named Jesus Christ? If that answer is no, you can know him today. I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And as I I tell in every sermon that I preach, I really believe it's important that people hear. Perhaps, Perhaps you are hearing this message this morning and you know you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're wondering, well, exactly how does this process work? How do I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? But folks, I'm going to tell you, as you heard Brother Adam talk about vacation Bible school earlier, I really do believe the process of beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's as easy as we tell children it is in Bible school. We're telling the truth. Sometimes I believe it's easier for children to accept than it is adults because adults try to make it too hard a lot of times. Now, I will tell you, accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that's the easy part. Living for Him every day after that, that's way more difficult That's way more difficult, but church, it's possible. By the grace of God, it's possible. It is possible. But if you're here this morning and you know that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, meeting Him is as easy as the ABCs of salvation, just like we will tell children in vacation Bible school here in a week or so. The A stands for we've got to admit that we're a sinner. We've got to be willing to admit that there's things in our life that's called sin that has caused a separation between us and God. We've got to be willing to admit that. The B stands for believe. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that everything the Bible says about Jesus is indeed true, that Jesus came into the world in human form as a baby. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He spent 30-something years walking this earth. During those years, he lived a life that contained absolutely no sin, none whatsoever. He loved us so much that he was willing to die for us on that old rugged cross. And when he did that, he physically died. His body was removed from the cross. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the tomb. That's why we celebrate Easter. And you know, through that process, salvation was made possible for all humans. It's possible, but we've still got to make the choice that we're going to accept the free gift. The C stands for confess. The confess, we, we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And throughout that process, we've got to be willing to turn away from our life of sin. Now, will we sometimes 
mess up and get it wrong, probably we will. But Christ will forgive us. He will forgive us. Thank God for his grace. So again, I wonder, do you know him today? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I'm going to pray with us as our, as our musicians and vocalists come. I want you to pray with me. And then we're, we're going to have an invitation. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us to your house today. Father, I thank you for just the richness of the book of Philippians. Father, thank you so much for allowing the Apostle Paul to write about this radical joy that he's experienced. Father, Paul's the one that wrote that we are to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, I am so thankful that that was not something that Paul just happened to write about. But instead, it's something that he chose to model for us throughout his life during that period of time that he was a Christian, and especially throughout the book of Philippians, how he modeled that radical joy. Father, I pray that we will be that same model of radical joy to all those who see us in our day-to-day lives. Lord, may they truly see a reflection of you. And Father, I pray right now for, for people who are hearing my voice that, that might not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I just pray that your convicting power will fall upon their hearts and upon their lives. Lord, I pray that you will move mightily during this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that we will see lost saved. Lord, I pray we'll see relationships restored. But most of all, I pray that we will see you on display here. Father, may we always desire the same things that you desire so we can truly say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength Father thank you for what you have done thank you for what you will do and it's in your name I pray Amen